0: Good morning. A couple of um, brief introductions before we start. Uh, First of all, the first part of this series was very well received on uh, podcast and YouTube, and I would like to request everybody that if you do appreciate and enjoy it, so I do upload it and share the link, and please do share it with your friends, families, or whoever you think would also appreciate it, so it can reach um, a broader audience. Um, Someone asked me if I'm going to be talking about the Jewish community <coughs> in Gaza post um, Spanish expulsion and actually there's one of the very famous, there's a number of famous, there was a flourishing Jewish community there for a number of years, centuries and uh, one of the famous names that stand out is Rabbi Seral Najara, who's probably most famous um, around these circles as <coughs> being the author of Kar which many people sing on Shabbos. And in fact, I just saw um, last night that some group of, uh, I guess, Israeli soldiers spent Friday night in the area where they understand to have been the shul of Rabbi Yisrael Najara, and they sang mm-hmm. Koriba there <coughs> in his shul. Um, there's, of course, other famous characters from there. Um, for those who follow Nahi Weinstein, the Svarim po- Chatter podcast, he just didn't had a whole interview about Rabbi Sol Najara. Um, But while all of that is very interesting and is not the topic of this series, this series, the topic is for uh, the history of Gaza vis-à-vis Torah, Halacha, and other um, aspects of Torah, not just history, which is very interesting, but that's not the topic of this series, so I just wanted to clarify that as well. Um, There was also a request that we use uh, more visual aids and maps, and we do have some plans to, in general, upgrade the visual presentation of the shiurim with the help of Reb Nisanal over there, um, but I did not manage to do it for today, but I will say that for today, there's only one very simple thing that you need to keep in mind in terms of the visual map of Israel, um, something which I believe probably everybody around this table already knows, but I'll just spell it out and you'll see it'll become clearly, and that is that the Ashkelon is on the west coast, Gaza is south of Ashkelon, and Nahar Mitzrayim, which we're going to b- go by the opinion that that is Wadi al Arish, is further s- south than that. That's really all you need to know geographically um, <coughs> in terms of today's class. Ashkelon, further south is Gaza, further south is Nahar Mitzrayim. And finally, also want to thank Rabbi Yossi for uh, generously sponsoring the series, and we greatly appreciate it. It's a big help. Okay. Summarize what we spoke about last time. We, d- we 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 d- we we demonstrated that the whole that whole area of Eretz which today is generally referred to as the Gaza Strip, um, we refer to it in Torah as the land of the Plishtim The Gaza Strip and the land of Plishtim don't match up 100 percent, but it's the same region. That is definitely included in the Haftaka in the promise in the promised land to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Um, however, there were some challenges to that all the way from the very beginning of our history, starting off, according to the Rashbam, with Avram Avinu even agreeing to the um, uh, treaty with Avimalach, which, according to some opinions, went on for eternity, not just for three generations. So that was some uh, already some challenge in the Jewish people's association with this land. Um, we find Yitzchak already went there also to try, and the Rechaim HaKadosh uh, to try and further... Um, established the Jewish people's right to it. Um, and we also saw that already in the times of the Avos, um, of the patriarchs, there is <coughs> this notion that even though it is part of Eretz Israel, it's not the same as the rest. Um, the two strongest sources for that were Rashi, who, when he describes Yitzchak being flourishing, Rashi says, <laughs> It's not. As important as the rest of Eretz Yisrael, or as Yossi David suggested, it's not considered the same as the rest of Eretz Yisrael. So we see that there's some difference there. And I also quoted er a bag which says that Avram was not able to receive the Sheva key to the same extent. The, the, let's let's call that prophecy to the same extent that he was able to imber Sheva in Eretz Yisrael proper. And finally, we saw the. Reports from Avram ben HaRambam, the name of his grandfather, that the land of the Polishtim was never really <laughs> um, fully in the control of the Jewish people in any permanent way, and will only be so in the times of Mashiach, together with the lands of Keini, Knesi, and Kadmoini, which already Chazal tell us are three, three of the ten nations promised to Avram, which we do not get until Mashiach comes. That is a very, very brief overview and summary of part one of this series. And now we move on to part two. We're going to start with and this you have on your source sheets only in the in in the in the Hebrew, with a tshuva, a letter a response from the Maharit. The Maharit is Rabbi Yosef of Tirani, the son of the Mabit, Ramosha of Tirani, who is a very important Pesach, um, and it's important to bear param- to in mind his dates. You'll see why this is important soon. His dates are you see in the footnote there, 1568 to 1639, and here we have a letter he received, and you can see the very first word on on the page that's not in bold font, is Azosa, that means it's addressed to Aza, and it's Shnas Shinzayin, Shinunzayin, the year 1595, and he's addressing the question, no Rabbi is so so we have here first Shiloh this is the letter that was reached from Gaza to um, the Mabit, who lived in Greece, I, I believe later on he may have lived in Sfas. I don't remember exactly, but anyway, he gets this letter saying that there's this individual by the name of Shimon, who lived in one of the cities of Judah. Um, this city is called Gaza, Aza, and it's a it's a place where there's a lot of uh, gardens and orchards, and and it's a good business place. Um, I think one of the things that come clear in the history is that Gaza was kind of it was on the way from Egypt to Israel, so it was a place where a lot of people. Um, there was obviously a big community and a big Jewish community in Egypt um, in Cairo. Um, and um, that was where they went through to uh, into Israel. so that's part of the history of the community there as well. Anyway. so anyway, Shimon um, was in um, business dealings with uh, he was a businessman in Gaza and his warehouse burnt down. and basically he was un- in huge financial trouble and he did what every uh, upstanding individual would do he escaped, okay, and he escaped to see, to wait till the dust settles and see what's going to happen, and in the meantime, he went to Egypt, while he was in Egypt, he got married, um, he went to Egypt with two of his sons, um, and um, they're in Egypt, they both, they're all, the, 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 all three of them, the father and the two sons, get married in Egypt, um, eventually, Shimon, the father, passes away, and the children decide to return to Gaza. Business opportunities and Parnasa in Egypt were really tough. They wanted to go back home to their to, 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 to their familiar, familiar area. Um, they wanted to, to live there. They were going to be able to be successful financially there, etc., etc. You could read here the story. It's in great detail. And um, Basically, the problem was that one of the sons, his wife, refused to move back with him to Gaza. She says, I'm staying put in Egypt. And the question that is being addressed to the maharit is: Does he have? Does her husband have the halachic right to force his wife to come with her to Egypt? Um, now, force means force thre- means thre- basically that if you don't do this, then I have the right to divorce you, and I do not have any responsibility to pay the kusuba or any other. Um, responsibilities that a husband usually would have if he were to divorce his wife, you are violating, you the wife, are violating the contract of marriage by not re- agreeing to return with me to Gaza, and therefore um, you're in violation of this contract, and I could let like, you go. That is that's that's based on the assumption that, that Gaza is, is Israel, right? One second. So that is the question that is addressed to the Marit. So the Marit has a very long, lengthy answer, and he starts off the first line of his answer, very good, Ari, right here on the page, the person who wrote this question to me, um, worded it very smartly, and he simply writes that he's that he's living in one of the cities of Judah, in the territory of Judah. Shayyare, or sheyara, he is demonstrating, that that is considered like part of Israel. Why is he attribu- uh, wording the question in this way? Because he wants me and to get the cue and say, oh, yeah, you know, the halacha is that if there's a couple and one of them wants to make aliyah, wants to move to Eretz Yisrael, so then that one can force the spouse to join them. The value of moving, of living in Eretz Yisrael is so important that the spouse who wants to move to Eretz Yisrael is automatically, um, so to speak, in the right, has the power to do so. So you are presenting this to me as if Gaza is a part of Eretz Yisrael, and therefore you're going to get a carte blanche to just say, yeah, for sure, you could force your wife to move there, um, but, says the Marit, let's examine if what you're in, um, insinuating, is that the word, is, is actually correct. Yes. Okay. So, in order to do this, we're not going to just straight away read the ends of the Marit. we're going to go back into the Psukim and see what this is all about. So, we turn to, you have this on your source seat, Parshish Massey, the end of chapter 33 of Bamidbar, where Hashem is talking to Moshe, this is the end of the 40 years, they're on the east bank of the Jordan River, and in a place called Arvis Yismoyov, and they're getting prepared to go into the land, and Hashem tells them, you must um, wipe out all the inhabitants of this land, and inherit the land, etc., etc., and um, um, the, the, the Ramban, famously, this is in the Ramban's Hasagas, in his notes to the <coughs> Sefer Mitzvot of the Rambam, where he has a whole list of mitzvahs that should be part of the 16 mitzvah, 613 mitzvahs, but the Rambam omits them, and in Shikchas Ho'es in Mitzvah Dalet, in the fourth positive mitzvah, which in the opinion of the Ramban was omitted by the Rambam, he says that the Rambam omits this mitzvah. There is a mitzvah that you must conquer and occupy the land of Israel, and the Rambam omits that mitzvah. So that's this is the mitzvah to occupy the land of Israel. And then, moving on to chapter 34, we have the first 12 psukim of chapter 34 on page 2 of your source sheets, where the Torah enumerates the exact borders of Eretz Yisrael in great detail, um, basically naming a number of cities across the southern border, the northern border, and the eastern border. The, the western border is very simple. It's the Mediterranean. So there's not much many details, many cities to enumerate over there. But you could see in these psukim, which you have over there in Hebrew and in English, there's many cities... Um, you, go, you go north here, go south there, curve here, go straight there, and of course, as you can imagine, there are many um, many commentaries and svarim, contemporarily even written on these psukim to figure out exactly where all of these cities are um, and exactly what these borders are. One thing seems to be a hundred percent clear: is that whichever way you cut it. These borders are not the same borders that were described, which we looked at last week in the Promised Land. So, for example, one of the ways that you could see this most obviously Mm -hmm. is that while in in, in Parshish Lech Lecha, in the Promised Land, Avraham is promised land all the way until Nahar Peras, the Euphrates River, which is uh, basically northeast, but quite far from contemporary Israel, let's just call it. Here, in the borders described, we're going nowhere near the Euphrates. If you look at verse... um, at verse um, verse 10 11 12 you could see um, that the the north the the the, the city at the very northeastern tip is Chatzar Einan, and you're going to Shafam and then from Shefam to uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Rival, I guess. And then, basically, from there, you're going to the Canaris. Okay, this is. The, I want to go to familiar words. We're going to the Canaris. and from the Canaris, we're going to the Jordan, and from the Jordan River, we're going to the Yamamalach to the uh, to the Dead Yamamelach is the Dead Sea. Yeah, that's how it's called in English. Um, so, all of these places—the Canaris, the Jordan, and the Dead Sea—are pretty much the eastern borders of. The state of Israel, yeah, contemporary land of Israel. Do and we know where no, those cities are? And they're nowhere near the Euphrates River. Sorry, what? Do we know where those cities are? Yeah, well, again, the, the, we know, yes, we know approximately oh. there is some dispute exactly where it mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the north. Um, Okay, I, I could I can give you some references to read, um, but it's uh, there's a lot of discussion. I don't want to get too sidetracked mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does go further north than Israel is today. For example, the northwestern border over here is Hira Har, which according to many opinions is Beirut. Some say it's a little bit further north of Beirut, even getting closer to Turkey. Um, but it's certainly much further than, uh, you know, the Golan Heights or whatever, the, the north, Ako, whatever the, the, the sort of the north Nahari, is today. Is Nahariya. Nahariya. Sorry? Nahariya. Okay. it's certainly sh- anyway, but, but but Anyway, but, but the, point is, the point that I want to mention for our discussion here over here is that it's clear that these Psukim are delineating a much narrower territory than was promised to Abraham. Now, part of that is because you have the three nations of Keni, Kinesi, and Kadmaini. We saw last week that some opinions say Kenizek and Muni is northeast, and some say it's southeast. So depending on exactly how you understand that, that, whether the omission of those three nations is what justifies and explains all the differences or not, I don't know. It would probably depend on the different opinions. But it's clear, be that as it may, whatever the reason may be, it's clear that these Psukim are not saying the same thing that they were saying in the Promised Land. Now, why do we need to know, what, what's the relevance of these p'sukim? So says Rashi, and you have this on your source sheet, in the English as well, says, Rashi, harbe mitzvahs There are many mitzvahs that apply only in the land of Israel, but do not apply outside of Israel. For example, most, uh, most, most. what comes to mind first is, yeah, this is on your source sheet on page three, um, on page two, the bottom of page two, third page third. two, two line 30, okay. twi- line 28, Did yeah? Got it. Um well, thirty-two in English, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many mitzvahs that apply in Kutzlaritz mm-hmm. that apply in don't apply in in don't apply in For example, all the tides, mm-hmm. Truma's mm-hmm. the year they're resting the land in the seventh year. So, therefore, the Torah needs to enumerate exactly what the borders around all the territory of Israel is, to tell you that these mitzvahs apply only within these borders that we're describing over here. So, that is the point of these borders in Pasha's Masseh. The promised land is much bigger than this, that's when Mashiach comes, etc. Right now, what you need to know, you're going into Israel, you're going to have to keep the mitzvahs. This is where you need to keep the mitzvahs. Um, by the way, there's a, we referred last week to Rebsad Yigoin, who, it's, it's on these pzuchim, where Rebsad Yigoin says clearly that um, Nahar Mitzrayim, the river of Mitzrayim, is Nachal El Arish, that's very clear in the Arabic translation of the Torah of Rebsad Yigoin. Okay. So if I can ask the mitzvot, they, don't, they wouldn't apply beyond... Uh, the exactly. The mitzvahs at Louis Baaretz um, the mitzvahs that apply only in the land of Israel, says Rashi, only apply within these borders. However, it's not so simple. As we'll see soon, these are the mitzvahs we just saw from the Ramban. These are the borders which Hashem is telling them you have a mitzvah to conquer. What if, in fact, the Jewish people don't conquer all of the here, do, do the mitzvahs apply in the areas which they were commanded to conquer, but did not, in fact, succeed in doing so? Uh-huh. So that's one of the things which we're going to have to see today. There is one. There are a number of sukkim in the Torah, specifically in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, which for the most part is Moshe Rabbeinu's farewell speech to the Jewish people. There's a number of different psukim over there which seem to not all fit nicely with each other and um, talking about different parts of the land. I'm, I want to very briefly bring one of those psukim now, which perhaps we'll return to in the um, next part of this series, but I think it's important just to set the, the stage properly. And that is also, I believe, on your source sheets, on the very bottom of page two in the Hebrew and on the top of page three in the English. And okay. this is from Parshus Shaitim. Any place that the palm of your footsteps will be for you. From the desert and the Levonin. Um, we'll get to that in a moment your borders will be from the Euphrates all the way until the Yam HaAchren which is the Torah's way of referring to what we call the Mediterranean so here in Pashas telling the Jewish people that your borders will be all the way from the Euphrates until the Mediterranean which is much bigger than what we've just discussed in Pashas Masih and Chazal explain and uh, the Mepharshim talk about this the the Abarbanel elaborates the Ramban and the Nitziv, and in general, if you really want to have a good understanding of those um, verses in the book of Dvorim and which seem very, very repetitive, um, if you want to have a good understanding of what they're all saying and what the differences are, the netziv is a very good commentary to look at, um, because he gets into a lot of detail, and while he is by no means beholden to Chazal, he'll certainly um, suggest his own perushim beyond what Chazal say, but he is very much... Um, trying to understand Chazal, so even if he'll suggest something different, he'll first explain what Chazal say, and um, explain to the best he can how it fits with all the Psukim. And so, what they, what Chazal say over here, and elaborated on over here by the Ramban and the Nativ, is that there are, there is a possible. There's basically three possible lands. There's the thing that you have to. There's the territory which you have to conquer right away when you go into Eretz Yisrael. That is stage one. Then there's possible, there's room for further expansion. That's in the verse in Pasha in which we just read. So that first part, that's like central. Yes, way. then you can expand it further, but you must first conquer part A, and then after you've done part A, you can ca- conquer part B. If you conquer part B before you finish par- conquering part A, part B will not um, have the Kutusha of Eretz Yisrael, which the Rambam talks about that, uh, vis-à-vis David HaMelech, the Gemara talks about it, vis-à-vis David HaMelech conquering Syria, which is Syria, or parts of Syria, which did not have the status of Eretz Yisrael proper, because he did so before he had finished conquering the rest of the actual territory of Eretz Yisrael, and then there's part three, which is the final expansion when Mashiach comes, including Keni, K'ni, and all the way, and so that's how these different psokhim fit in, so again, that was just uh, a side note to explain how you, when you come across other uh, psukim, you'll see that it doesn't fit very well with the psukim in Parashas Masai But what we do need to know is that what was relevant to us to the Mitzvah Hatluys Baaretz is the borders, the territory delineated in Parashas Masay in now in, in Bamidbar, chapter thirty-four, the beginning of chapter thirty-four. Those are the, are the That's the territory which the Jewish people were commanded that they should inherit, that they should uh, occupy it, inherit it. And, and that that would effectuate Kedush which means that the mitzvahs on Hoge Sparetz apply in those lands. Okay, What happens when the Jewish people actually go into Eretz Israel? So, um, we're going to see, and again you have this on your source sheets, um, from the book of Yehoshua, chapter 13, and the book of Shriftim, chapter 1. So in Yeshua chapter 13, it says, zokim Yeshua is getting old, and Hashem tells him, and uh, there's, there's still much of the land that you have not managed to, um, to inherit. This is what's left. Now the Torah enumerates what's left, and look at verse 3. It says, from the Shicher, which is on the, on the border of Mitzrayim, until the border of Akron going to the north, all of those are part of the land of Khnani, and you have not yet um, conquered them, and then it illuminates specifically. Hamesha Sarni the five um, saren is the, like a king or a minister or whatever. Yeah, the, the five uh, leaders of the pelishtim nation. Ha'azosi, the one from Gaza. Hashdoedi from Ashdod, Hashkeloni from Ashkelon, Hagiti from Gas, Haekroini and from Akron. And then the sixth one is the Avim which we saw already last week. The Ramban says that's the same as the Chitim. So it says clearly, Yeshua is about to die, and they have not yet conquered. Um, let's talk about Gaza and Ashkelon, explicitly enumerated as uh, some of the cities that, that Yeshua had not yet managed to conquer. Now, move on to Shoftim, the beginning of Shoftim, chapter 1. Uh, he Yehoshua after Yeshua's death, and the Jewish people ask Hashem by means of the Urim Vitumim of the Khoshan, the breastplate of the Kohen godel who, who should go first to uh, fight against the Canaanim, and Hashem tells him, Yehuda Yale, Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, who's territories in the south of, of of Israel. They should go first. And uh, Yehuda tells his brother, the, the, well, it's not the the tribe of Yehuda tells the tribe of Shimon, you come with me. And in fact, um, Shimon Shimon's territory ends up being scattered amongst Yehuda's territory, as Rashi brings in Chumash. Um And over there, it says in verse eighteen, chapter chapter one, verse eighteen, Yilka Yehuda. As Azov, as Gvulah, as Ashkelin as Gvulah, as Ekrin, as Gvulah, Gaza and its territory, Ashkelon and its territory, Ekrin and its territory. So it's very clear in the Pesukim here that those um, cities, Gaza and Ashkelon and Ekron, which um, Yehushua did not manage to conquer, was subsequently conquered by the tribe of Yehuda. After Yehoshua's passing, and that was incorporated in the land and the territory of Yehuda. And so, um, again, we see in Parashas Masai that Wadi El Arish is the southern border. Certainly, that means that Ashkeloin and Gaza are part of the land which the Jewish people are instructed to conquer and we see in the book of Sheftim that it took some time, Yeshua is no longer alive but the Jewish people did in fact the tribe of Yehuda specifically did in fact succeed in conquering Ashkelon and Gaza so it's considered a Muhammad mitzvah absolutely um, and this brings us to the big question the very first Mishnah in Masechet Gittin so we're not really here to study the laws of divorce, but this is where it comes up. The very first Mishnah in Gittin, you have that on your page, page uh, 3, line twenty, twenty-three, 23, whatever it is, yeah? Yeah. yeah. 25. It says like this, In the English is on 25. Basically, it goes like this. Um, if a couple got divorced, the husband has to give the wife a get. What if they are in two different places? So, there is a system where the husband can appoint... An agent of his, a shliach, to deliver the get to his wife. Now the agent shows up and he says, "Hey, miss, here's the get from your husband." How do we know that he's telling the truth? Maybe he just fabricated. Maybe he forged the get, and is is, is just giving it to her, um, and she's not really going to be divorced. And then it's going to create all sorts of problems. One down the line, when the husband claims that no, I never, I never signed that document, um, and so there is a system in place that if it's within the land of Israel. We have, we're have we close enough communications, we're not concerned that anyone's going to be brazen enough to do such a forgery, because that, w- that wouldn't work, but if he's taking the get from the husband in the land of Israel, and delivering it to the wife, who's outside of Israel, then the agent has to actually witness and declare that I saw this get being written, I personally can testify that this is a valid get, and then... Um, uh, I saw it being signed and, and sealed in front of witnesses, and um, then we could trust that it's a good get. So in that context, the Mishnah tells us what is the, where is the borders, where is Eretz Yisrael, where is the area where if somebody brings a get, they could just deliver it, and where is the area where if somebody brings a get, we won't allow them to deliver it to the woman until the, the agent declares that he also witnessed the signing of this get. And in that context, the Mishnah says that Me ashkelon ashkelon ashkelon, from Ashkelon and south, and Ashkelon itself is considered south. In other words, Ashkelon is not considered part of Israel. Ashkelon is south of Eretz Yisrael, and if somebody delivers a get in Ashkelon, they have to, we will not allow them to deliver the get. It's not part of Eretz Yisrael. We don't allow them to deliver the get unless they declare that they saw the signing of the get. Hold on a second. Um, did I put the, t- the t- I t- t- not so. No, it's not in your no. No. T- says, hold on a second. How could you say that Ashkelon is not part of Eretz Israel? It's very clear in the Psukim and Shaeftim mm-hmm. that we just saw mm-hmm. that Yehuda did conquer Gaza. These, these Ashkelon, are so they are in the same spots as where they existed. Well, that's our assumption for now. Okay. Um, so how could you say that Ashkelon is not part of the battle? It's clear that Gaza was conquered by that Ashkelon and Gaza were conquered by Yehuda. Says so there's two answers. a We're talking here Oilei Mitzrayim. Okay, so I'm going to explain these terms and then we're just going to use the Hebrew terms for them. Eile Mitzrayim and eile Babel. Eile Mitzrayim means the Jews who came out of Egypt, which means it was conquered by Yehoshua. Now, when we say Yehoshua and eile Mitzrayim, it doesn't mean specifically in that first generation. Even if it was conquered, like in this case, after Yehoshua died, or even subsequently if it was conquered many years later by David HaMalach or Sholem HaMalich, that's still considered, in, as far as our discussion is concerned, that is still considered eile Mitzrayim, the ones who came out of Egypt. Then, as we discussed a number of weeks ago, when the Jewish people were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar, that the Rambam says that kedusha, that the sanctity of Eretz stroll, that was infused in the land by virtue of the Olim Yisrael conquering it, was taken away. And then, by Oli Bavel, when Ezra comes, oily Bavel means when Ezra came from Babylon and he resettled the land, that invests it with a new, um, with a new kedusha. So, so that, the words that, that we'll, so the words that we're going to use are oile mitzrayim and oile bavel. Those everybody should familiarize themselves with those terminologies. Oile mitzrayim is the first uh, Yehoshua, and subsequently any time between Yehoshua and Nebuchadnezzar. And oile bavel means any time in the second commonwealth in the time of Ezra. Yes. So during that period, the uh, mitzvot to le'aret didn't apply, according to the Rambam. That is correct. Yes. But but they may have applied in some places anyway, in a rabbinic yeah. level. But certainly on a biblical level, they okay. did not apply. Yeah. Wait, they didn't they didn't apply the, the, up the, the until qu- the time of Ezra. Yes, but the, the in quest- all territories, even the p- territories that, that while is, we had it. That, and we, that and is an extremely complex question. Um, even uh, you have to gather all the places that the Rambam talks about it and see how they, it's it's okay. way beyond what we have uh, the possibility to discuss today. Okay, so that's, so it says so the first answer of so is, the early bava lake of Shua. It's true that, as we see in the Pesukim in, in, in Shoftim, that the tribe of Yehuda conquered Ashkelon. But um, when they came in, and with Ezra, the second commonwealth, they only, the they, Ashkelon, and, and further and south, was not conquered by the early bava mm-hmm. and therefore the Mishnah says that it is considered outside of Israel, vis-à-vis Gittin are concerned. That's the first answer, Pesach. The second answer, Pesach, is, is Roy Marie, the rear of Yitzchok. He says that no, that it could be that Ashkelon is part of Eretz Yisrael, but the reason why um, it, 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 the the agent has to say Befanin he has to report that he witnessed the Befanin that the get was signed and sealed in his presence, is because it's not part. It's not really inhabited. There's no proper Jewish community, there's no sages there it's far flung, and so while within the central community of Eretz we're convinced that nobody's going to try and forge a get, because that's not going to be uh, that's, that's not going to be worth his while well. but Ashkelon, even though it's part of the territory of Eretz but it's so far flung from the central community, from the rabbis, from, from where everything is hustling and bustling, that therefore, as far as Gittin are concerned, we consider it like Chutzlaritz. And here we have our first clue, which is going to become very apparent, that there may be, it's not so clear cut, yes, Israel, not Israel. There may be certain places which, as far as certain things are concerned, we're going to say they are considered part of Eretz Israel, and as far as other things are concerned, we're going to say they're not part of Eretz Israel. and that brings us into our further discussion of other Matters to do with Ashkelon. So, the next source that we have to look at is the Yerushalmi, which I don't believe is on Dis- this source dispute, sheet. Disputed territory. Yeah, <laughs> different kind of dispute. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so the Yerushalmi in Shvius, the Mesech to Shvius, chapter six, <inaudible> Yerushalmi brings a braysev, which enumerates. Um, many, many cities, which are border cities of the land of Israel, cities, mm-hmm. villages, towns. And, of course, this is a topic that, that Bryson, Yerushalmi, has many, many um, discussions contemporarily about it to try to figure out exactly where all those towns are. Inside or outside? The towns. The border I, towns. I don't recall. Oh. Um there's many variant texts of that brysa, I saw somewhere a comparison of all the possible texts of that brysa, which enumerate in the dozens, possibly even more than a hundred, but the many dozens of variants of that brysa actually, and I remembered where it is, it's in a appendix, or a to Encyclopedia Talmudis, volume 2 wherein you have the Erech the entry of Eretz Yisrael, so in the back he has a whole chart with, uh, I think I think I think yeah, I think that's where I saw this chart. Or if not, I didn't see it there. I saw it referenced there, and it's somewhere else. Anyway, one of the cities enumerated by that brisa is Ashkelon. That Ashkelon appears on the borders of Eretz Yisrael. So the the brisa, the Gemara Yerushalmi asks Reb Sherwin's question: Is Ashkelon itself? Actually, I'm sorry. The the the, the, the brysa says Ganyad Ashkelon, which means the. The garden or the territory around Ashkelon. So the Gemara says, what about Ashkelon itself? Is Ashkelon itself part of Eretz Yisrael or not part of Eretz Yisrael? So the Gemara concludes from the Bais over there, from the way it's worded, Ganya, that Ashkelon, that Ashkelon itself, Klachutz, Ashkelon is considered outside of Eretz Yisrael. And the Gemara goes on to say two things. First of all, that al Avir Ashkelon Viti, ar-ruhu, viti ar-ruhu, There was a whole story with Pinchas Ben testifying that he used to go and get wheat from Ashkelon, and based on that story they were metahir, Ashkel, uh, the, the metahir, the avir, the heir of Ashkoin, what does that mean? <laughs> one of the, when we still talk about the land of Israel versus outside of Israel, one of the halachic ramifications of that is Tumas Eretz Ha'alim, Hazal instituted that outside of Eretz Yisrael is, uh, 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 is considered impure, just by virtue of the fact that it's outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's impure, if you were to go there, it's as if we considered that you came in contact with a dead body. Okay? So, the Gemara Yerushalmi says that even though this Bryce is saying that Ashkelon is like outside of Eretz Yisrael, is outside of the border of Eretz we nevertheless, we, 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 the Chazal said uh, um, that it does not, it's, it's Taur, it's pure, if you go there, you do not contract Tumah by virtue of Eretz And then the Gemara says another thing, Nimdu Aleh that they um, decided that Ashkelon would be exempt from the tithes. Okay, so so far we've discussed if we t- we've discussed three things, three halachas. Number one, the bringing of a get. Number two, the impurity of eretz amim, and number three, taking the tithes. And what we've seen is that Ashkelon is considered like outside of eretz yisrael as far as bringing a get is concerned. We've decided that Ashkelon is considered like inside of eretz yisrael versus uh, uh, as far as um the purity and impurity of Eretz Ha'amim is concerned, and it's considered, like, outside of Eretz Yisrael, um, because in the, in that it's exempt from the tithes. Is everybody a little bit confused? It should be. Okay, good. Well, Hashem, everyone's confused. What's going on over here? <laughs> so, what we're seeing over here clearly is, and um, this is really the strong point we're going to see at the end, there's a very long shtickle from Abiyak of Emden in his commentary on the tour, In the Torah, in Erechaim, Simen Shinvav, which is in the laws of Shabbos, so there's the halachas, that you're allowed to do certain things, you're allowed to tell a goy to write a contract for you on Shabbos, if it has to do with buying a house. ...in the land of Israel, because that's such a tremendous mitzvah to live in to Yisrael... ...that we override certain um, halachas not to write, but to have a goy to write for you. So in that context, Rabbi of Emden, in his commentary on the Torah, Marek ...has a very, very lengthy discussion of exactly where it is considered Eretz Yisrael and not. And in that context, he says, what's very clear from all of these suyas is that there are many cities which... In, ...depends on the context... In the context of my they're inside of Eretz Yisrael, outside of Eretz Yisrael, in the context of this, of Tumas Eretz Yisrael, and it's confusing. And Rabbi Akim is trying to decipher over there, well, when it comes to the mitzvah of living Eretz Yisrael, which side of it does it fall into? Right? So we've said, Ashkelon, you don't take sir, but you also don't get impure from Eretz Yisrael. And you do have to say, testify that you saw the get writing. So, if somebody says, is there a mitzvah to live in Ashkelon? Can I have a go? If I'm going to buy a house in Ashkelon, am I allowed to have a go? You write the contract for me on Shabbos? Right? So that's what Biak of Emden is busy with in, 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 over there. So let's try a little bit to make sense of all of this. We've already said that the reason why Toysters brings um, from the re, that the reason why, or a possible reason why you have to testify about the get if it's an Ashkelon, is because it's distant from the so even though it's part of Eretz Yisrael but because it's not a very strong vibrant community, there is more of a concern that somebody would try to forge a get in Ashkelon, okay, that's that why are we saying that it's tohir from for Eretz Amim, that it does not have the impurity of the land of the nations, so in that the Rambam explains in Hilchus Tumas Mase, Perik Yudalaf Yud base. I do It's not on the source sheet, and there it says that because it's Muvla, Eretz Yisrael, because it's with it's 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 within, it's sort of swallowed up or surrounded by territory that is Eretz Yisrael. Because the territory of the con- the land that was conquered um, doesn't necessarily go in such a clean in such a clean root, it could be they managed to sort of, we find there's a number of references to this in the Gemara that there's a Retzua in other words that there's a strip of land that protrudes in one location that they were able to conquer and the lands around it they were not, so because they're Ashkelon, even though Ashkelon is not Israel but it's surrounded by parts that are Israel, therefore the Chazal said we're not going to have Tumas Amim over there, we're not going to And it's got a C on one side, so yeah. So we're not going to have the impurity that usually, if somebody goes to the outside of the land of Israel, they become impure, like they've come in contact with a corpse. We're not going to apply that to Ashkelon because it's too close. Okay. Why does it have? Why is we saying it's hotter from Ma'asrus? So that's not so clear. It's not so clear. I did see some suggestions, but I didn't see anything. In uh, early sources about why they were put it to it for the Messiah, so I'm going to leave that as a blank for right now. Um, now, let's see the Rambam, and this you do have on your source sheet at the bottom of page three, and it's also on page four in the English, um, from is Perek Aleph Halokhehehe. Says the Rambam, call Shehechziko Oyla Mitzrayim in his Kaddish Kedusha Any part that the Oyla Mitzrayim, we all know already what that word means, any part that the Oyla Mitzrayim, managed to conquer with the first sanctity and when they left Israel that sanctity was taken away okay let's skip a few lines because we've already learned these few lines a few weeks ago let's move on um, let me see what I put on the source sheet here a second. Just look at the last line for now. Uh, no, no. The, they, they left the sages left those places which the Mitzrayim did conquer, but Eilim Bavel did not conquer as they were. But they did not. Um, exa- not but end. And so this answers your question before, which is complex. This is, touches on it that. Even though re- technically there's no Kedusha there, nevertheless, Chazal said, no, you still have to take Turmah over there. Kedashi is Anim B'Shviya, so that the poor people should be able to rely on them in the Shemitah year. Now, there's a, three or four different opinions exactly what that means, but somehow having these places which are not part of Eretz role, yet they do give the tithes, helps the poor people in the year of Shemitah. Again, there's different ways of understanding how that works. The point is that this is an a, 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 a economical decision. Then, the Rambam concludes, the Rabbeinu is shed, but Ashkelon is an exception, Ashkelon is exempt from Misa. So, <coughs> it seems clear from here, that the Rambam seems to be going with the opinion of Toysus of Rabbeinu Tam, that we mentioned before, that Ashkelon is a city that was conquered by Eil Mitzrayim, but was not conquered by Eil Right, that's why I wanted to bring this Rambam. That's what seems clear from this Rambam, that Ashkelon falls into that Zone which was conquered by early Mitzrayim was not conquered by early Bavil. Now, for the sake of um, full disclosure, I'll tell you that it's not so, not all the commentators learn like this Pratin and Rambam, and the reason they don't is because there are numerous different Rambams, both in this chapter of Hilchestrumus Perakalev and in other places scattered throughout the Rambam, where the Rambam makes all sorts of comments about Ashkaloin, and there's all different ways to understand them. But the approach that we're going to go with here today. Is the appro- this approach that I'm saying now, which fits with Toysus, and both the Radvaz and the Kesef Mishner, which are commentaries on the page of the Rambam? Um, they both say that Ashkelon is that the Rambam holds like Toysus, that Ashkelon was included in Eilim Mitzrayim, but was not was not conquered by Oile Baal. So that's the approach we're going to take today. You know, do, do you, did you see anything on why uh, Ashkelon wasn't included in the their uh, obligation of uh, all these? Of of Isis, I did see a few others. things, but I didn't see anything um, that really grabbed my attention, and I didn't see anything from the Rishonim, only from Achronim, so I didn't Kay. bother quoting it. Um, meaning, not something that's very authoritative or something that really spoke to me very much, so I just prefer to leave that as a question for I you. I mean, I, I like... Uh, there was a good reason why they did it, right? Because they thought it was important for the, for the poor to receive these uh, Yeah, so I mean, wha- one and of and the people. suggestions I saw was something along the lines was that there weren't so many people living there, which kind yeah, the sort of matches the fine. Anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is the approach that we're going to move forward with, is that Ashkelon and South, including, of course, Gaza, are parts of territory which were, n- were conquered by Ulu Mitzrayim and were not conquered by, by Leibaba. Now, there is another two important sections of the Yerushalmi which are important mm-hmm. to touch on. So, do you, should we pause it? Does anybody have any questions? Is everything clear? Should we move on? It's a side question. Are you yeah. mentioned that there are some regions which David Amelech missed out, right, before he started to try to conquer other places. But once the era of the Olima Terrain is over, right, and then you have the bubble, are they not allowed to conquer the places that David Melch missed out? No, they are, but they didn't they, in, that, in that. Oh, um, I don't know if they did or didn't, because like I don't know where those places are. What? Say again. Like untouched regions by Dover Miller. By yeah, Houston no, there's no, there's no reason. No, no, there's no reason why not, as far as I know. Yeah. That would be included in the Ole Bovell, like it would. It may have been. everything sure. that David took. Like, because they didn't get everything, right? No, Syria, certainly not. They, if they, there is. was, for, for sections further south that were, uh, ish, which were. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So we've just seen in the Yerushalmi before that there are that um, that Ashkelon is considered like Chutz at least as far as certain things are concerned. Frack the Gemara. Hold on a second. Mm. It says, going back to our pasuk in Shavutim, and pretty much mirroring the question of Tosfos that Yehuda did conquer Gaza and its territory now the way the to understand this question of the Yishalmi is that Yishalmi seems to be taking for granted and there could be different reasons why they're taking, Yishalmi is taking this for granted but let's just assume for now Yishalmi is taking for granted that any section of the land that was conquered uh, at least in the territory of Yehuda in the south any section that was conquered by early Mitzrayim was also conquered by early Bavad in the, in the region of Yehuda in the south, there is no, in the north there are sections that were conquered by the Muslim, not by the Bible, not in the south. So how could you say that Ashkelon is the, is, is, is the southern tip border? It says clearly that Yehuda conquered Gaza and Gaza is south of Ashkelon. And for the Gemara, they say Gaza. There's two Gazas. <coughs> There's one Gaza, which is the Gaza that we know, Bill. There's the Gaza that we know today, that we're talking of, which is south of Ashkelayn. That, that was not conquered by Yehuda. I, the Pasuk, because Ashkelayn is the southern border. I, the Pasuk says, Yehuda conquered Gaza. Oh, there's another Gaza somewhere further north, and that one was conquered by Yehuda. Okay, well, I don't understand why, oh, you, why you have to on. get onto this. Well, yeah, why does the Gemara have to get onto this? The uh, Gemara is assuming... They don't, they don't believe that there's two different tiers. Ole, the Gemara, be, no. Whatever the ge- happen- no, the, the way the Mepharshim explain this Gemara is that the Gemara is assuming that in the south, in the region of Yehuda, whatever was conquered by Yol Mitzrayim was also reconquered by Yol Mitzrayim. The Yerushalmi yes, is assuming this. Yes, the Yerushalmi is assuming this. Why the Yerushalmi is assuming this? There okay. seems to be some proof for that. Again, in, because of constraints of time, I'm not going to be able to go into that. But that seems to be... But that's in contradistinction from what the Rabbim writes, right? Yeah. Uh, hold, hold on, hold on. Let's see what Hushami is saying, yeah? yeah. So, okay, so there's two Gazas. There's one Gaza further north that was conquered by Yehuda. There's another Gaza further south, which is what we know as Gaza, that was not conquered. Okay. Then the Gemara says, one second, you're saying that Ashkelon is outside of Eretz Yisrael. It's the southern border of Ashkelon Kilachot. The Pesach also says that he conquered Ashkelon. Oh, again, they say Ashkelon. There's two Ashkelons. There's the Ashkelion that we know, that was not conquered by Yehuda. Then there's another Ashkelon somewhere else that was conquered by him. Says the Gemara, <coughs> It says clearly, that he conquered until Nachal Mitzrayim, until, we're, we're saying, Wadi Al Right? Are you going to say that there's two Nachal Mitzrayim? That's preposterous. You can't say that. There's <laughs> two Egypts. Right? <laughs> in other words, this is already getting absurd. This is really yeah. Right? China? <laughs> no, the other China. Nah. Yeah. Okay? So, and that's it. The government doesn't answer the question. So, w- w- what's clear, one second, what, what, what's clear from here is that so it, we, we, do, we seem to, to reject, to abandon this idea that maybe there's two Gazas and two Ashkelons. It's actually interesting because the Radvaz in his commentary of the Rambam, he also sort of toys with this suggestion that maybe there's two Ashkelons. But the Yerushalmi is uh, rejecting that. The Yerushalmi is saying, no, there's no, uh, we, we, that, that, that doesn't work. Well, it is possible. Now, so one second, one second. So now we're, we're, we're so, so, so Yerushalmi <coughs> hasn't answered this question, right? Back to, we're back to square one. If we're we're assuming that Asa, that that the Eilu Babylon and in the in the section of Judah are the same, and we know clearly that Gaza and Ashkelon were conquered, so why are we saying that Ashkelon is like Chutzlaretz? That's the question. That, that is the question that the Yerushalmi t- brings up and leaves it the, leaves it open for us to contend with. And yes. I mean, it's possible that we destroyed a settlement and it resettled later. Bang on, hit the nail on the head. So here, the Mepharshim say, and again, in interest of keeping towards our to our our limited time, I'm going to have to go through this very quickly, and I can provide for you the sources, or we could discuss it in further detail afterwards. But if you go through the Pesukim in the history throughout Nach throughout the, the books of the Prophets it, and even some references in Tehillim, I think it seems very, very clear that that whole territory the land of Plishtim, kept on going up and back the Jewish people conquered it the Plishtim conquered it back it was a region that was constantly fraught with friction and up and back you know, territories you know, you to tell us. nothing's changed, right? so first of all, I mentioned before you have Rabbi Akivenden's commentary in the Torah and mentioned above. Where he um, he brings a number of references to this concept, where you see how it went up and back, even and he says he, he says even not just by early Shem, even by early Babel it went up and back. And he quotes from Josephus that you see in Josephus's description of 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 the of that era that it was um, that it was the Jewish people did not ever succeed in having any type of permanent governance over that region of land. And even at times when they did, sometimes the governance was only in terms of that they were able to collect some taxes from there, but not that they actually um, li- lived there or had proper control of what was going on over there. And the other um, place I saw more contemporarily who really goes through this in great detail is Reb Chaim Kenevsky in his Bir Halakha, in his book, Derech in his commentary to the Rambam, Sefer Zeroy, Milchus Parakal um, and so there we have so, so that seems to be the approach that Achranim take on. That the reason why Ashkelon and further south is considered Khutzlaritz in the Yerushalmi is in fact it was conquered to some extent by the tribe of Yehuda. It was possibly even conquered to some extent later on in the era of, of Ezra, but it never not not in the first not in the time of Ela nor in the time of Ali Babel was there ever permanent long-term Jewish settlements over there under Jewish covenants. it was always a, a territory fraught with friction, and that's what comes out from this Yerushalmi now before we, get, we tie things back to the question which we started off with, from um, the person, this uh, Shimon the, the Marit, who wanted to force the Shimon's son, who wanted to force his son, his wife to move back to Gaza there's one more line of the Yerushalmi which I have to read to you, and that is like this the Gemara asks, Gadriku, the Before Shimon is, say, is, is Gerar. Last week we spoke about Gerar, which was the capital of the Plishtim in the time of the Aves. So the, the Yerushalmi says, why is it that that whole region of Gerar, Chazal did not institute Tumas Eretz The impurity of the land outside of Eretz Yisrael. Ashkelain, that's further north. And that, the Rambam explained, Ashkelon doesn't have Tumah, even though it's outside of Eretz because it's surrounded by parts which are Eretz But what about the further south, Gerar, possibly including Gaza, including Gaza yeah. why is there no Tuma there? So the Gemara says, Mipneisha Nov which seems to mean something along the lines of it's, it's not really a good climate over there, and so anyway, people are not going to live over there. So the whole reason why we have this Tuma impurity in the land of the nations is because, because uh, we, we want to make sure people stay in Israel. So this is not a good place to live anyway, it's it's, it's bad climate. It's desert. It's not inhabitable. It's not you know, and so there was no need to institute tumah over there. Then the gemara continues ad hechan. There's, there's terrace there. Ad hechan till where? <laughs> how how far? How far is the no tumah? So, uh, so how far how far is the no tumah? Ad nachal Mitzrayim until. Why the otherish? Correct the gemara of harei Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a is good fine. climate. Right. It had, yeah, but um, I mean, as you know, you, know, you know, Gaza has a good climate and it is good to live there. It's like Singapore. Hmm. It's like Singapore. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> right? And, and yet, there's no tumma over there. Why not? Hallelujah. And then the Gemara finishes off with a very ambiguous word, pishpishah, and there's even different. There's, there's many different interpretations into this last word of the Yerushalmi some people, some commentaries join it on to the next word, Pish as the name of a sage and it's part of the next sentence there's all different interpretations of this Yerushalmi but whichever interpretation you take on um, it, either it means that actually no Gaza is not in a good place to live or it means that it is a good place to live but nevertheless there's no Tumar there whatever the case is <coughs> Um, and by the way, <coughs> it's Mashman in Chumesh that Gaza is not a good place to live because it says that Yitzchak planted by Yimsa a he, that even in that land, which is not a good climate, he managed to have such a successful uh, produce. That's yeah, so what I see already in Chumesh, that like in Gerar. That was not Gaza, that's Gerar, but it's the same region, right? Um, anyway, so w- again, whichever interpretation of the Yerushalmi we take on, the bottom line of the Yerushalmi is that in that whole region, including explicitly the Yerushalmi mentions Gaza, there is no Tumas Eretz Amim, even though it's not part of Eretz Yisrael. We're saying, but it does not have Tumas Eretz Amim. We're not sure why. Again, that would depend on different interpretations in that last word of the Yerushalmi. Now, keeping all this in mind, that's summarized. Right? We have a very common opinion in the Rishonim, which, according to many, is also the opinion of the Rambam, that uh, Gaza and that whole Ashkelon, Gaza, that whole region is. Was conquered by Eli Mitzrayim, was not conquered by Eli Um We have the Achraim pointing out, based on the Yerushalmi, that the fact that the, the 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 that whole region never had longevity or permanence under Jewish rulership um, is halakhically significant in the fact that we're not really treating it full fledged like Eretz throne. and. Um, we certainly know that there's no Tumas Eret Ha'amim over there. And now, we come back to the Maharit, the Radvaz, and the of Emden. We only have a few minutes left. Uh, unfortunately, I'll probably go a couple of minutes over time um, if you bear with me. And let's try and wrap this up. By the way, I, I should just mention an interesting side point that uh, came up before. The Ramam says, Ulamatok, and Aram from Meritz and down towards Aram Naharaim, which is what we call north. And that's because once upon a time in Muslim cultures, it was very common to have the map upside down from what we have it because the Muslim, most Muslim cultures were north of Mecca, and so they wanted to look up to Mecca, so what we call south was in the north. Every culture, it's only recent that it's become standardized where, which side of the map we put upwards. In Christian cultures, they used to put um, the east on the top. Um, and, and so we take it for granted that north is on the top, but that's a completely arbitrary decision which only became universally accepted in the last uh, number of centuries. Anyway, um, did not know But, that. but anyway, let's, so it's just interesting to note when you see in the Rambam when he says down and he means north, that's why. But anyway, um, <coughs> so anyway, the Maharit, based on everything we've uh, discussed until now, and he quotes to Yerushalmi and he quotes uh, numerous sources to back up basically the approach we've been taking until now. He says that Gaza is not considered part of ancestral, and therefore this man has no right to force his wife to come there. And he goes on to say other reasons why she, he has no right to force her to come there, but let's stay in focus on this discussion. It's not part of ancestral. And he also says, this is a very important line, he quotes a Yerushalmi that says, Anytime you have a that you're not clear about, see what people do and copy them. And he says, The Yerushalmi is saying over there that we see about whatever context Yerushalmi is talking about, we see that people don't take the tithes in that area. Says the tradition and precedent are both very important factors when it comes to making a halachic decision. And so basically, he's saying that the fact is that people do not take tithes or do any of the mitzvahs um, from the stuff that grows in Gaza. And so that's an, 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 an tradition and tradition and practical precedent are very important factors over here. So that further goes to support the Maharitz approach, that Gaza is not part of Eretz Yisrael, and this man has no right to take his wife there. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is, or a problem is, and and by the way, one important thing to point out over here is that many of the proofs that the Maharit brings for his contention that Gaza is Khut are from sources that are not even even talking about Gaza, they're talking about Ashkelon, But, the Maharit takes, uh, uh, takes the approach, which seems to be clear in the Yerushalmi, mm-hmm. that, uh, <laughs> that the, 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 that's binary, meaning if Ashkelon is outside of Eretz Yisrael, and Gaza is south of Ashkelon, then obviously Gaza is also outside of Eretz Yisrael. Now, there is a tshuva from the Radvaz. The Radvaz is of David Ben-Zimra, and his dates, which might even be on the source sheet over there, are... 1479 to 1573. So he's basically a generation earlier than the Maharit, whose dates are 1568. So the Maharit is born three years before the Advaz passes away. Right. So the Advaz is a generation earlier. The Advaz himself lived in, in Cairo, I believe, um, and later also in Israel, I think. Um, but anyway, he's in that region, and he has a question. Shaila uh, Meaza. He was addressed. The question was addressed to Advaz. Are the people of Gaza chayiv to separate the tithes or not? And he says, absolutely, you are chayiv to take the tithes. It's part of the land which was certainly conquered by Eilim and you have to take the tithes. And uh, again, he goes on. He says the fact that they do too, that they don't do two days yomtiv. Um, uh, he says the fact that they don't do two days test, thats not relevant. But, uh, but 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 either way, it's for sure part of it, all. You have to take the tides. And he brings a number of different proofs. He, you can see in the middle there, he quotes Wadi El Parish, which is Wadi El Arish. I'm not sure I didn't figure out why the pay became, Aleph became a pay, Whatever the case is, fine. So there are a number of problems over here, one problem is that the Radvaz and the Maharit are literally one generation after the other, and the Radvaz are saying yeah, obviously you have to take Misa, and the Maharit is a generation later, saying nobody takes Misa from Gaza, so is this, besides, obviously they could have differences of opinion, but it, it, it seems to be a bit, bit uh, quite a big um, clash uh, uh, another thing is that uh, the Radvaz seems to be ignoring the whole fact, the whole discussion that Ashkelon is part of Chuzlaret, so, so he seems to be ignoring that whole thing, what's going on so here we come back to the Meruk Tzira Biakev who, as we said before, greatly elaborates on this whole topic. And he is very disturbed by this um, contradiction between the Marit and the Radvaz. And he tries to, on some level, um, synthesize the two of them. To bring so there's this last line here. Yeah. Shuv Matsati. The Balsafirma. Yeah, yeah. So he the Kafti Farah didn't have time to get into the Kafti Farakh Kafti Farak is a Rabishari Apharchi. We've mentioned him a number of times in this class. He's really the first one of the Rashadimi who traveled Eretz Yisrael and studied it in great depth to try and figure out exactly where the territory of Eretz Yisrael is. So he says that he has support from a Mishtoyah Party. I, I want to go through just a few things. From, and, uh, again, I apologize for the time over here, but I do want to go through just quickly a number of points from the Merah ha- Mer- from a Byak- Emden. Um, one thing seems to be, and this is why I mentioned to you the, the Gemara about that Gaza doesn't have Eretz Amen because um, the Biak of Emden brings that uh, in discussing one of his proofs he mentions that uh, anyway it's <coughs> and he, it seems from what I could tell that Ebi Akalemdun skipped that Yerushami which is clearly that uh, that area does not have Ebi so that would be a surprising oversight from Ebi Akalemdun but that seems to be the case Another interesting Gemara that Nebuchadnezzar mentions is that the, your Gemara mm-hmm. says in Baba Basel of the Medalev. I think we mentioned this Gemara last week, that any part of the land which Moshe Rabbeinu was shown. We know that before Moshe Rabbeinu died, Hashem showed him the whole land. So the Gemara says everything that he saw is Chai Vemaisa. And the Torah describes what he saw. The Gemara says that he saw everything until Yamha HaAchren. The Yam HaAchren is the Mediterranean. Nebuchadnezzar calls it the Yam HaEmtsoi, the Middle Ocean, or I guess Mediterranean. It's Mediterranean, probably. yeah. Right? Yes. So... So, um, so if, if he saw, if, if Moshe Rabbeinu saw the land of the Plishtim, so then the Gemara says that ah, it's Chai Pemaisa. So how could the Maharajs just say there's no... yeah? Um, and. Uh, Mediterranean is actually middle of the land, not middle of the ocean. Mediterranean. Yeah, no, not middle of the ocean. Mid- the yeah, middle okay, that's true. Land. Yeah, yeah, terrain. Land. Yeah, okay, very good, very good. So... Um, Anyway, he wants to try and bring them to Imakashava by suggesting that it depends, and they really they would all agree. He says it depends if it was grown, if, if the produce grew in a field that belonged to a Jew or to a non Jew. He says they, he wants to make this, because it's this go between land, that it was conquered by Odom Mitzrayim, it was not conquered by Odom Babel. So therefore, if it grew in, in that area in Gaza, in a place that belongs to a Jewish person, it's going to be Chayiv and it If it grows in a in a place that's, that belongs to a non-Jew and was imported to, to Israel, then it is not chayev B'meiser, and he wants to say that that's the difference. You know, the, the Radvaz was talking specifically about somebody who owns a field in Gaza, and the Marit was talking about something which was much more common. Most of the land in Gaza was not owned by Jews. Um, it was, like we said before, there was never really, at least in that uh, proper Jewish settlement there, um, in terms of agriculture, and so therefore he wants to say that that's what the Mahrit means, that's not chayev B'meiser. Um, and again, he, wants, he specifically ties it back to that um, discussion of how, how, how successful the Jewish settlement over there was. The bottom line is the thing that the Rabbi Yaakov Emden really finishes off with very strongly, and uh, perhaps if we have more time in the coming parts of the series, we'll go into a little bit more detail about this, is that vis-a-vis the mitzvah of living in Etzisrael, he contends that absolutely all authorities would maintain that the mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael da- is fulfilled by mi- by living in that territory, which of course was a big part of the discussion in recent years with the Jewish settlements in Gush Katif and that whole region. That uh, is there a mitzvah of Yishev Eretz to live in those lands in and um, in Ashkelon too, I guess. Um, and he, Rabbi Yaakov Emden is pushing very strongly that yes, that even if you accept. That there is no chiyuv there. Um, still, we have seen and established that whether whether something is part of our or not is not a binary yes or no. It depends. Sometimes it could be part of Eitzes as far as one thing is concerned, and not part of our as far as another thing is concerned. And so, um, vis-a-vis living in Eitzes Israel, Rabbi Emden is very strongly of the opinion that, and he wants he claims that the Maharit. Well, no, the Maharit can't agree with this. The Maharit is clearly disagreeing with this, but he, he says, as far as this par, par, part is concerned, we have to reject the opinion of the Maharit and accept the opinion of the Radvaz, and he claims it would, he claims that this is has to be this is the only way that makes sense that there is in fact the mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael um, in that section as well. But as like we saw before, the Maharit argues on here. But what we have seen clearly is that there's a difference between the Simon and the and we've also seen that. That um, this whole region of Ashkelon, Gaza, etc., um, has never been has always been fraught with contention, which seems to be a part of what's leading towards all these complications and disagreement in halacha, where they don't fit neatly into any that region doesn't fit neatly into any halachic gather into any halachic um, construct. Because, because of the complexity of the yeshuv and that part of the land.